And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. It's having confidence and having faith in Jesus and what he did. Has nothing to do with us. Isn't that good news? We can get out of his way and just let him have his way. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be superstars. He's the superstar. Well, you can tell I really like that scripture because this is one of the books that I've published over the last couple years. And I took that scripture in the title. The title is God Says Yes. We say amen. And he heals today. So the scripture that that's based on happens to be on the back of my book. And it's first, or 2 Corinthians 1.20. And this is the scripture. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ. Today we're going to talk about how. We're going to talk about how the great huge price that he paid purchased grace. A free gift. And that free gift is his part in our salvation. Salvation includes healing. Our part is faith. And it says right here, all of the promises have been fulfilled and through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. So our response is a faith response. Our response when we say amen to the promises, when we say amen to a prayer, that means, God, I agree with you. God, God, I trust your promises. I trust the promises in your word. And I say, amen. And the way that Mary said it, I love this. When Mary was given the, the promise of being the mother of the Messiah, she was invited and she said, yes. And then she said, let it be done to me according to your word. So whatever that promise is that you're, believing God for. You might not even know there is a promise. We'll help you to find it. We'll, help, we'll show it to you in the word. And then you can take that promise because God says yes to it. He completed the promise through Jesus. So I want to start out with some really good news. You may wonder if it's God's will for you to be healed. And I want to point right now to Jesus. This is what Pastor Tim shared with me so many times, and all of you as well. And he says, if you want to know God's will, look at Jesus. <laughs> look at him. Look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospels are accounts of Jesus' life. The, the, the translation for the word gospel is good news. In fact, one of my favorite teachers says that the, a better definition for gospel is too good to be true or not. It's almost too good to be true. Almost too good to be true. I remember when I first heard the promise of Jesus being my healer and that he had paid for my healing. And when I started taking those little books that Kathy showed you, little prayer books that have healing scriptures in it, and I started praying those scriptures over my life, I felt like it was too good to be true news. It was really good. Those scriptures, they're from the Bible. And they were about healing. But it felt like a fairy tale to me. It felt too good to be true when the doctor said I had stage 4 cancer. But it wasn't too good to be true. It's the gospel. So look at Jesus. I have a few stats for you. In the four gospels, there are 23 accounts of individuals being healed. 23. 
In addition to those 23 individual people that were healed, there are 17 more accounts where everybody was healed in a mass of people. Everybody that was in need of healing. And it usually uses the words multitude. When I think of a multitude, I think of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And the Bible says everyone that needed healing was healed. And that happened 17 times. I don't have enough fingers. 17 times in the Bible. And then, this is, this is incredible. That's in the gospel. But I'm going to share a few things that are not in the gospel. Jesus never said no. He didn't say Sometimes it's my will and sometimes it isn't. He never said that in the gospel. He never said, um, I'm, I'm teaching you a lesson through this sickness and that's why you have it. Jesus never said that in the gospel. Jesus never said, I'm not healing you because of a sin issue in your life. Nope. Those kinds of things that we often hear in the world today, I'll never forget when I was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer and I was sitting in a small Bible study and the question came up, why? Why, you, why do people get sick? Why do good people, why do bad things happen to good people? And the, the answer that came forth from one of the ladies sitting there was, well, God needs to teach us lessons. No, Jesus... Jesus is the perfect reflection of the Father. And Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't say that. So that is not true. It's a good thing. It's a good excuse when you don't understand. Because there's a lot of things I don't understand, friends. But I've given up my right to understand. I base my theology on Jesus. I base my theology on what the Bible says, not on experiences. There's a scripture in Colossians 1 verse 15, and it says, he is the exact living image. It's referring to Jesus. He is the exact living image, the essential manifestation of the unseen God, the visible representation of the invisible. Jesus makes our amazing God visible. When we read the Bible, when we go to Israel and we see where he lived, where he walked, where he healed, where he died, when we see that, it becomes really real. Jesus shows us God through his heart, through his actions. He shows us the heart of God. Now, today we're going to be talking about grace, and I'm going to go to a, a uh, scripture that we're going to keep coming back to through this teaching. It's Ephesians 2.8. The scripture says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. We're going to talk about the second half of the scripture a lot, but right now I just want to go to the first part. It says, For by grace you've been saved. We're going to look at the word Saved. We're going to talk about grace in a minute and what that means. But it says we've been saved. That word saved is the Greek word sozo. It's used 110 times in the New Testament. My definition, my best definition for that word is the entire provision of God. The fullness of his grace for the whole man, spirit, soul, and body. It's a great 
amazing gift, our salvation. Now, before I was diagnosed with cancer, I didn't understand the fullness of salvation. I knew that salvation included going to heaven after I die. I knew that part. I also knew that it included forgiveness of sin. But I didn't understand the whole picture. Now, the interesting thing about this word sozo is that in those 110 times that it's used in the New Testament, it's used completely differently, and it's translated as different English words depending on the context. I'm going to show you a few examples. I'm not going to read you the scriptures because we don't have time, but I'm going to refer to them. So the first one I want to talk about is that so, so yes, does include eternal life. Yes, it does. And this scripture I am going to read. It's probably the most quoted scripture from the Bible. John 3, verse 16 and 17. For our God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So that scripture talks about eternal life. I've got a, uh, an awesome nugget about eternal life. It doesn't start after you die. It starts the moment you receive Jesus as your savior. I'm living my eternal life right now. And so are you guys. But Jesus didn't just pay for eternal life. He also paid for forgiveness. So-so is also forgiveness. I'm going to give you two biblical examples. The first one is the, the woman who was a prostitute. And um, she was forgiven by Jesus. And she was so overwhelmed that she poured out her extravagant love and, and went to the home of one of the Pharisees where Jesus was going to be for supper. And she took the alabaster flask. She broke it and she anointed the body of Jesus. She wept, she cried tears and washed his feet with her tears and wiped his feet with her hair. She was showing, expressing an extravagant love because of the extravagant forgiveness of God. And Jesus spoke to her and he said, woman, your faith has saved you. That word saved is also so-so. She was forgiven much. And that's why she was expressing her love so hugely. Another example is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. He was that chief tax collector that was uh, despised by the Jews. Absolutely despised. But Jesus called him out of that tree on the streets of Jericho. That sycamore tree. And when he did, he, he was welcoming. He called Zacchaeus by name. He says, I want to come to your house and have dinner. And then he said, the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Once again, a big sinner. And Zacchaeus was forgiven and invited. He was included. He wasn't excluded. He was included. That's an example of so-so, of salvation. So-so also means healing, physical healing. And today I did something I've never done before. I found every healing account that uses the word so-so. So I'm going to tell them to you. I'm not going to read them to you. I'm just going to tell them to you. The woman with the issue of blood, when she reached out to touch the hem of the garment, she says, if only I can touch him, I know that I'll be made whole. I know that I'll be healed. That word healed and made whole is so-so. Same word. 
The same word that's used for forgiveness and eternal life is also used for healing because it's part of salvation. The second example is Jairus' daughter. Jairus is the one who, whose daughter was sick unto death, and he was asking Jesus to come and pray for his daughter. By the time Jesus got there, the daughter had already died. But Jesus laid hands on her, and he said, little girl, get up. And she was raised from the dead, healed. That's healing. That's physical healing. The third example is blind Bartimaeus. He was also on the road to, to Jericho, Jericho when Jesus was going to Jerusalem right before his passion. Blind Bartimaeus was crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus asked him, what do you want? And Bartimaeus says that I could see. And Jesus spoke to him and said, your faith has healed you. And he got his sight back. That's physical healing. The word healed in that scripture is the same Greek word, so-so. The next example is the man with the withered hand. This one I didn't even know about. The man where Jesus said it was on a Sabbath, and he wasn't supposed to heal because the Pharisees said he was working. But Jesus talked. He says, isn't it important that people are saved on the Sabbath? And that word saved is so-so. And then he said, stretch out your hand. And he was healed. That's part of salvation. The man's withered hand, deformed hand, was restored to normal, was made new. It was probably not even restored to normal. He'd probably been born that way. He had a creative miracle. The next example was the 10 lepers were healed, but only one came back to, to thank Jesus. That man was made whole. That man was sozoed. The others were physically healed. They were cleansed. But only the one that came back and gave thanks was made whole. Now, my um, impression of that, and I may be wrong, but my impression is that that man, everything that was broken on his body or that was gone because leprosy destroys parts of the body, I believe that he was completely made whole and everything was restored. That's physical healing. And the last example, these are all of the examples where the word sozo was used in an account of healing. And the last one is the man who was lame from birth. This was not our Lord Jesus. This was the Apostle Paul. He was lame from birth. And when Paul saw that man, he saw that he had faith to be healed. And that word healed is sozo. And he said, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. And that man was miraculously healed. That man had been lame from birth. That was a physical healing. Physical healing is part of salvation. So-so also includes deliverance from the enemy. Listen to this example. Remember the example in the Bible where there was a man who had a legion of demons. And Jesus cast out the legion of demons. Legion means a great number of, it's like a military term. I think it means a hundred or maybe even 10,000, 6,000, whatever. It's a lot. 6,000 demons. He cast them out. They went into a herd of pigs and ran off and were all, all, all the pigs died. But then that man was sitting at the feet of Jesus and the Bible says he was sitting there healed. That word is also so-so. So the demonic 
was destroyed through to salvation, through sozo. That's all part of salvation. Now I want to share you a testimony of today testimony. In fact, I just got this testimony the other day, um, a current day testimony that goes right along with this. And I'm keeping everything about this testimony confidential, the name and the, the pieces, the details, because I, I want to protect the, the identity of this person. Not in the room, but I just want to be... Um, um, I just don't want to give all of the details. So anyway, this woman came to me for inner healing ministry, for healing of the soul. She had a lot of deep, deep wounds and uh, lots of issues. So we ministered to that woman with the wounds in her soul and the hurt in her soul. And one of the things that God often does through ministry is he replaces something with truth. And this is the truth that the Holy Spirit brought to us. Very often it's in scripture. This is the word. It's in Matthew chapter 11, starting with verse 28. The scripture says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and overburdened, and I will cause you to rest. I will um, ease, sorry. I will ease and relieve and refresh your souls. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle, meek, and humble, and lowly in heart. And you will find rest, relief, and ease, and refreshment, and recreation, and blessed quiet for your souls. For my yoke is wholesome, useful, good, not harsh, hard, sharp, or pressing, but comfortable, gracious, and pleasant. And my burden is light and easy to be borne. That was the word that God gave to her that day. After he gave that word to her, we were continuing to minister, and we could see that she was just moving like she was in pain. So I asked her about it, and she says, Oh, yeah, I've had this pain in my neck, in my shoulders, and it has moved into this muscle on my arms, and it's chronic, and it's really bad, and I have it all the time. I said, Do you have it right now? She says, yeah. So we prayed for her. And I knew, I, I, I knew just because I had a sense in my heart that there was a relation, there was a, something connected between the soul issue and this issue in her neck and her shoulders and her, and her arms. So we prayed about it. We laid hands on her. We prayed about it, saying, God, this is your word. This is your promise. You say that you'll take that burden. You say that there will be rest for our souls. You say that your yoke is, is not heavy, that your yoke is light, that your yoke is beautiful. And we prayed that over her, and we laid hands on her. And I got a text about two days later, and she says she hasn't had one ounce of pain since then. That's so-so. That's what so-so is. It's this full, beautiful package of healing salvation, forgiveness, deliverance, the whole thing. So I needed to give all of that to you before I share this message about grace. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to share what I call an essential truth, a foundational truth. And I've already prayed about it. And my prayer is that this is some things that you probably a lot of you have never heard. And my prayer is that it will 
it, because it's an important foundation to healing, that it will go into your heart. I'm praying that there will be, uh, that the eyes of your heart will be open to receive and that it will come deep and firmly into your heart and form a good foundation, a good root. So I'm going to go through a lot of information pretty quickly. You have notes. I do that for a reason, so that you can take it home and continue to just kind of meditate on it, read it, study it out a little bit. Because this is very closely connected to receiving healing. The work is done. It's God's will. It's part of the gift that he paid for. But this truth is integral in receiving that gift. So, here we go. I'm going to give you a little snapshot of the old covenant of law and contrast it with the new covenant of grace because we're talking about grace today. So, the old covenant of law, it was given to Moses and it was not just the Ten Commandments. It was way more than that. How many of you have read Leviticus? Don't feel bad if you don't raise your hand because that's a tough one to read. If you've read it, you know that the law was huge. There were all sorts of pieces, lots of them. A lot of it had to do with ordinances and sacrificial systems and all sorts of stuff. I don't understand all of it because I have a hard time reading it just like you do. But I do know this. It was immense. It was given, God gave that because he needed to put some temporary restraint on sin because sin was running rampant. Remember, he had already... um, um, It had the flood because sin was so big during Noah's time that that all of mankind except Noah's family was, was, was killed in the flood. And he said, I'll never do that again. So he had to put some restraint on sin, and this is how he did it. But it was only as a temporary measure until it was time to send the final measure, Jesus our Savior. Um. I'm going to read a couple scriptures. Listen to this. James 2.10. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in just one point is guilty of all. So that law was given to put a restraint on sin, but it wasn't possible to to fulfill it. Because if you've missed one little piece, the whole law was null and void. The whole, the whole, you're, you're earning the, the benefits of the law was done for. In God's eyes, even the slightest sin contaminates us. It's all or nothing. Being a good person isn't enough. Being a good person isn't being perfect. Listen to this scripture, Romans 3.20. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. We can't be perfect by following the law. We can't be made right with God. God, with the law, raised the bar so high that no one could measure up. The purpose of the law was to show us that we couldn't do it on our own. The purpose of the law was to show us we need a Savior. And then came Jesus. So now we're going to do a real quick snapshot of the new covenant of grace. I'm going to read some more scriptures. Now, I specifically found scriptures that connect the old law to the new covenant of grace. Listen to this. Romans 3, 21 through 24. But now, God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. 
as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who they are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Boy, I've heard that one a lot. We're all sinners. We all miss it. Yep. But the next verse is the critical verse. Listen to this. Yet, I've got to find it. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. It's free. God, in his grace, he makes us right. Yes, we're all, we've all missed it. Yes, we were all sinners before we received Jesus as our Savior. Yes, there's no way that we could fill the law. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. And he did it through Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. That's good news. That's really good news. That's almost too good to be true news. John 1, verse 16 and 17. For out of his fullness... Oops, I want to go back. Romans 5, verse 20 and 21. But the law came to increase and expand the awareness of the trespass by defining and unmasking sin. But where sin increased, God's remarkable, gracious gift of grace, his unmerited favor, has surpassed it and increased all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, so also grace would reign through righteousness, which brings eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's sin. And sin was, was uh, uh, growing and increasing in the, in the uh, sinfulness of sin. But Jesus purchased grace. And this scripture, and so many more, especially in Romans chapter 5, So many verses in that chapter say so much more. God's grace is so much more than all sin added up, multiplied a hundred times over. God's grace is sufficient. John 1, verse 16 and 17. For out of his fullness, Jesus' fullness, the superabundance of his grace and truth, we have all received grace upon grace, spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. Isn't that amazing? I love that word. Imagine the best present you could ever imagine in in the natural, in the material world. Huge, expensive, big, beautiful. Maybe a BMW. I'm not a car person, so I don't even know what a good car is. But I'm going to say a BMW with a big ribbon around it, brand new, shiny and pretty and clean and everything. You'd be excited, right? God's gift is so much better. This is the biggest, best gift ever. I love the way the word says this. Grace upon grace. Where did it go? Okay, it's right here. Grace upon grace, spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. That law was given through Moses, but grace, the unearned, undeserved favor of God and truth, came through Jesus Christ. So I'm going to give you a brief definition of grace, and then we're going to talk about what grace did and and 
and how it made us right with God. The, the definition we often hear is unmerited favor. So it's, it is, I'm going to talk about unmerited in a minute, but it is favor. The word favor means um, kindness, um, an act of kindness. That's a big act Jesus gave us, or a charitable gift shown by word or deed. An act of grace or goodwill. Goodwill. God's will for us is good. It means loving kindness and tender mercy. The grace that Jesus gave to us was freely given. Doesn't cost us anything. But the huge thing is that it cost him a whole lot. It cost him so much. It cost him, oh, persecution like we can't even begin to imagine. Pain, ridicule, shame, imprisonment, beating, and death on a cross. And that was nothing compared to being separated from his father. It cost him everything, but it was worth it to him. Each one of us was worth it to him. That gift of grace is universal. That means he purchased it for everybody. No exclusions, not one. It's the potential for everyone. Not everybody receives it, but it's the potential for everybody. And that thing called grace is undeserved, unearned, and unmerited. Undeserved means that there's no way that we can possibly deserve it because we can't fulfill the letter of the law. We cannot be perfect. It's never going to happen. We can never follow the law good enough to um, deserve it. It's undeserved, but we get it anyway. It's unearned. That means works can't buy it. Good works can't buy it. Taking care of, of your, your, your elderly parents, loving on your neighbor, um, doing mission trips, giving money to the poor. Nothing you do can earn grace from God. It's unearned, but you get it freely. It's also unmerited. That means you can't be good, just a good person. I'm a good person. You know, every, we hear people say, I'm, I'm a good person, so I'm good with God. No. Until you believe and receive Jesus, you're not going to be good enough. But Jesus gave it freely. So here's a big question. We looked at law. The law couldn't never make us right. No matter how much we tried to follow the law, no matter how good we are, It can never make us right with God because if we break one letter of the law, the whole thing is broken. So if the law couldn't do it, how could grace make us right? The answer is Jesus took care of the issue that made us not right with God, and that is sin. Jesus took care of the sin issue. There was a, we had a sin nature and lots of actions of sin, And that sin was a barrier. It divided us from God. 
When we had that sin nature and sin actions, we literally could not be in the presence of a holy God. There was a barrier. What Jesus did through his death and resurrection was he completely remitted sin. That word is an important word. Remission is an important word. Let me define it. This is right from the Bible concordance, this definition. Remission, the word, the Greek word is aphasis. The word remission means release from bondage or imprisonment. We were imprisoned in this, with this sin nature. And because of the prison, we couldn't get over there to God. We absolutely could not be in the presence of the holy God because of the sin in our souls. We were in bondage. We were imprisoned to sin. Remission mean, does mean forgiveness, but it means more than forgiveness. When I think of the word forgiveness, I think of saying, if I was forgiving Kathy, if I was just forgiving, I'd say, Kathy, it's okay. It's okay. Don't worry about it. It's okay. I love you anyway. But that's not what forgiveness is. That's not what God does to us. Forgiveness means pardoning. It means letting go. It means that sin is removed as if it never even happened. It's completely removed. The part of us that is completely made right is our spirit part. So that's the part of us where the, where the sin is completely cleansed. Because you're probably saying, well, what about those thoughts I have and the sin I still do and all that stuff? Well, that is our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions. But our spirit is perfected at that point. And I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. So let me go back to remission. Remission is forgiveness or pardon of sins. And God lets them go as if they never been committed. That's like too good to be true news. I remember the first time I heard this, it... It took a lot for me to see that evidence in the word before I was going to believe it because it was just too good to be true news. But I know it's true. Not only did the sin get remitted, the penalty was also remitted. The penalty that we owed was remitted. Now I'm going to read you some scriptures that give evidence to this. Matthew 26, verse 26 through 28. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them. And he said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. His blood was the price that was paid to have our sin remitted. Colossians 1, verse 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. That word forgiveness is also aphasis. It's also remission. So through Jesus' shed blood, we've been redeemed. We've been redeemed. The word redeemed means our ransom has been paid in full. We're set free. We're delivered. We're no longer imprisoned or in bondage. And the last piece of evidence from the Bible, Ephesians 1, verse 7 and 8. In Jesus, we have redemption. That is our deliverance and salvation through his blood. 
which paid the penalty for our sin and resulted in the forgiveness and complete pardon of our sin. That underlined part is aphasis, remission, in accordance with the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So this is the result. The barrier was removed. Jesus took care of the sin problem. And when all of the sin was completely removed and we were completely and forever forgiven, then we became righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus became sin. He became sin. He just didn't take our sin. He became sin. And then he destroyed sin. Sin was completely destroyed. And then he resurrected to new life. Sin was defeated. And that gift was transferred to us. So there was a divine exchange. He became sin so that we could become righteous. Now, the next scripture that I'm going to read to you is Romans 6, verse 10 and 11. And this is amazing. Father, I just pray right now that we take this as your promise. We take this as your word and we believe it. Verse 10 says, for the death that he died, he died to sin, ending its power and paying the sinner's debt once and for all. And the life that he lives, he lives to glorify God in unbroken fellowship with him. Well, that verse totally makes sense to me. That's my Jesus. That's the son of God. He took our sin. He, he died with our sin. He, he went to hell. Sin was destroyed. Then he was raised from the dead. Now he's sitting at the right hand of the father in unbroken fellowship. That's all Jesus, of course. But read the next verse with me. It says, even so, in the same way, consider yourselves to be dead to sin and your relationship to it broken, but alive to God in unbroken fellowship with him in Christ Jesus. We're in the same position as Jesus because he took care of the sin problem, because he remitted sin, we if we believe, and we're going to get to that next, with faith, if we choose to believe in this gift, we become righteous. And now we're in unbroken fellowship. So instead of sin separating us from God, now we're separated from sin. Sin's no longer a part of us. God took care of it. He separated it from us. Our spirit is 100% perfect. Wall to wall. 100%. It will never not be perfect. And because of that, now we can be in unbroken fellowship with our Father. Now, I'm not saying that sin doesn't have consequences because it absolutely does. That's another whole teaching. I teach in depth about godliness, about godly living. Because sin can have consequences, grave, big, huge consequences in your soul your mind, your will, and your emotions, and even in your body. But your spirit is righteous. 
upon receiving Jesus. The next scripture I want to read is Romans chapter 3, and this is in your handout because it's from the Passion Translation. Jesus' God-given destiny was to be the sacrifice to take away sins. So now he is our mercy seat because of his death on the cross. So in the old covenant of law, there was an ark of the covenant that, that held the presence of God. And in that ark of the covenant, the lid was called the mercy seat. Once a year on the day of atonement, a perfect unblemished lamb was slaughtered. And the blood of that lamb was sprinkled on the mercy seat to atone for the sin of the people for a year. But then it had to be redone year after year after year. Because sin wasn't remitted. Sin was only atoned for. This scripture says, now Jesus is our mercy seat because of his death on the cross. We come to him for mercy, for God has made a provision for us to be forgiven by faith in the sacred blood of Jesus. There was only one possible way for God to give away his righteousness and still be true to both his justice and his mercy, and that was to offer up his own son. Justice. Was, was, was made. God had justice, but it's because the judgment was all put on Jesus. Our debt was paid. Our sin was paid for, but we didn't pay for it. So now, because we stand on the faithfulness of Jesus, God declares us righteous in his eyes. Where then is there room for boasting? Do our works bring God's acceptance? Not at all. It was not our works of keeping the law, but our faith in his finished work that makes us right with God. So our conclusion is this. God's wonderful declaration that we are righteous in his eyes can only come when we put our faith in Christ and not in keeping the law. Now I'm going to tie this all in with healing. This gift of grace, God did his part. It's done. It's universal. It's for everybody. Everyone's included. But not everyone receives it. Because we have a part, and our part is to believe in the finished work of Jesus. Back to Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it's a gift of God Romans 5 verse 1 and 2 our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us and he now declares us flawless in his sight this means we can now truly enjoy and uh, I'm sorry now we can Enjoy true and lasting peace with God, all because of what our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, has done for us. Our faith guarantees us permanent access into this marvelous kindness, this grace that has given us a perfect relationship with God. What incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating our huge, our hope of experiencing God's glory. So the scripture says that we have our permanent Access Permanent means it's done. It's permanent. It's for today. It's for tomorrow. It's forever. We have our permanent 
access into grace through believing, through faith. The word access means admission. So now I'm going to get to some lies, some demonic lies of the enemy, where he has taken this truth and he's twisted it. And this is what we see in the world today. The enemy's lie says that it's not faith in what God has done that purchases this amazing gift of grace. The lie of the enemy tells us there's things we need to do, like following the law, like following every rule and getting everything right, like being a good person, like doing, like going to church every Sunday, like receiving all of the sacraments in order to receive goodness or rightness with God. But that's not true. That's not what the Bible says. I remember when I received my salvation, my friend Jenny asked me if I was saved. And my answer was, I think so. And then I listed everything on your paper. I said, I think so. I'm a good person. I go to church every Sunday. I've made all the sacraments. I take my kids to religious ed. I've even taught in a parochial school. Yeah, I think I'm saved. It's not by works. But I didn't know that. I didn't know the fullness of truth. I didn't know the truth that I'm sharing with you right now. This verse says that faith is what grants you admission. Not faith in yourself and your works, but faith in a savior. We need a savior. The purpose of the law was to show us that we weren't good enough to be saved. We need a savior. Before we can receive the fullness of the gift of grace, we must quit trusting in ourselves. And that's what I did on February 19th, 2002. I quit trusting in Cindy. I surrendered for the first time in my life. I relinquished control to God. I had always believed. I grew up in a church that believed in Jesus, believed in his death and his resurrection. But I was always the one in control. And I had never given him my life. I had never surrendered. I had never just put my trust in him. And that's the day that I did it. And that's the day I believe that I went from death into life. Now, the scripture, Ephesians 2, 8, says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. At the very beginning of the session, we talked about that word saved, that word sozo. Yes, it means forgiveness of sin. Yes, it means eternal life. It also means being rescued from destruction of the enemy. It also means complete Healing is the will of God in your spirit and in your soul and in your body. It also includes deliverance and freedom from evil. It includes all of that. So when the scripture says, by grace, you've been saved through faith, it applies to every part of salvation, including healing. So now I'm going to give you the second huge lie of the enemy that I want to expose. And that is that most people in this world believe the lie that God moves or answers their prayers or brings them blessings in proportion to their performance. They try to earn the answers to prayers and God's blessing through human effort. 
And instead of focusing on what Jesus did for them, they focus on what they're doing for Jesus. Big difference. Different motives. It's all about motive. It's not about what you're doing. It's about the motive of what you're doing. So the truth is that every aspect of salvation, including healing, is provided through God's free gift of grace and his access to just believing in Jesus' finished work. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what Jesus did. It's all about this amazing, huge package, gift of grace. It's all about grace. It's not about us. It's about us believing in Jesus. Galatians 3.5, wonderful evidence. It says, so then, does he who supplies you with his marvelous Holy Spirit and works miracles among you do it as the result of the works of the law which you perform? Or because you believe confidently in the message which you heard with faith? I have never read this scripture the way that I've read it this week. This is talking about the gifts of the Spirit and miracles. And the question is, do those come as a result of the works of the law which you perform? Do those miracles come because you're performing the law just right? No. Those miracles are manifest because we believe with confidence in the message of Jesus, the good news, the gospel of Jesus. So here's a big question. And this is one of those questions that, that we need to re-ask ourselves consistently. And the question is, are, are you in this place right now? And you may just be starting your journey. But those of us who have been in the journey of healing faith for a while, are you in a place of performance mentality? Thinking, am I doing enough? Am I doing it right? That performance mentality of, of thinking you have to have everything just right in order to receive that precious gift of healing, that's a skewed motive. That's a skewed thought process or paradigm. And it could be a reason why you haven't received the manifestation yet. Because guess what, guys? Our, unhealing, our healing, like our salvation, is unearned. It's undeserved and it's unmerited. It's unearned. It's undeserved. It's unmerited. But Jesus paid for it and he freely has this gift for us. We don't have to earn it. We couldn't possibly earn it. We don't have to deserve it. We couldn't possibly deserve it. You might say, I'm not worthy. Well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> because he sees you perfect. You are righteous in his eyes. You are perfect in his eyes. You are worthy. He wants you to have, he wants you well. He wants you to have the fullness of his package of, of grace. Motive is everything. Motive is everything. Things like studying the word, getting those little scripture books and declaring his healing promises praying having communion with god one-on-one -on -one, worshiping praising him those are all amazing things but if you're doing those things if you have a checklist and you say okay i'm doing this 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 and this because that's how i'm going to get healed then your motive is wrong 
True faith is focused on what God has done for you, not on what you're doing for God. So the bottom line is this. It's not what you do. It's what Jesus did. It's not what you do. It's what Jesus did. We're healed by faith in what Jesus did for us, not by the works and what we do for him. So now I'm just going to close with this. A paradigm, the definition of a paradigm, is a, a belief system or a mindset. I have had some very extreme paradigm shifts in my life. And I think this is an area that many of us need to shift our paradigm in the area of faith to receive the finished work of Jesus. So we need to put our faith in God's healing grace instead of our own ability. <clears throat> we need to get out of the way. In this world that we live in, we're, we see it as really um, important to be doers, to be in control, to be independent. But God, God's way is the exact opposite. He wants us to put our faith in him and his grace. So a common misunderstanding, and this is just a little subtle way to shift your believing. A common misunderstanding is that we need to fight to get healed. Instead of defending the healing that has already been purchased, it's already ours in the spiritual realm. Do you agree with me that Jesus only died once? It's a done deal. It's finished. He finished the work. When we were born again, when we believed in Jesus for our salvation, we received the whole package. But you might not know it yet. So this paradigm shift is just to say, okay, that was already purchased for me. When I was saved, it became mine. I just haven't seen it yet in my body. It's mine in the spiritual realm. I just haven't yet seen it in my body, but it is mine. So instead of fighting to get something, you're defending something that's already yours. And it's a lot easier to defend something that's already yours than it is to try to get something that you don't have yet. It's just a shift in your faith paradigm. So quit trying to get healed and start trusting that you've already been healed. I remember when this revelation became real to me. I was diagnosed in February with stage four cancer, and I got this revelation in April, and then I was completely healed in July. I got the final good report in July. But in April, in this, this event in April, this, this revelation event, Charles Capps, the man who wrote that little book about of healing scriptures was visiting our church and he spoke on Sunday morning and Sunday evening and that night when we drove home Kent and I both had the same revelation through that man's teaching I learned something new and it came and it planted itself right in my heart and what I learned was that I had been speaking future tense I had been saying God I thank you for your promises I believe them with all my heart and I know I know I know that I will be healed sometime in the future. Then when I had my paradigm shift, I realized that I was speaking. I, was, I shouldn't be speaking that way. I needed to shift my speaking. 
And so I stopped saying that I will be healed and I started thanking God that I already was healed. I started thanking him and keeping my eyes on what Jesus had done and praising him for that finished work. So believe that you've already got it. Talk like you've already got it. Here's a great declaration. I am the healed of the Lord. I'm not a sick person trying to get healed. Now, you wouldn't want to say that to just anybody on the street because they think you're crazy. But you can say it in your own time when you're, when you're um, meditating on God's promises. And it will help you to believe what is the truth. I am already healed. I'm not a sick person trying to get healed. I am already the healed of the Lord. And then act like you've already got it. Believe that you've already got it. Talk like you've already got it. And act like you've already got it. Okay, next week, I am going to be sharing on rest. I'm going to be sharing, when I was in Israel, God spoke to me. And a lot of times it's very simple and not a lot of words, but he spoke to me and said, you need to teach on rest when you get back. So I'm going to be teaching on rest. And the, the, the thesis of the whole teaching is to rest in this place of believing in the finished work of Jesus. Not to strive and stress out, just to rest. He did it all. He did the hard part. So, Father God, I just thank you for the work that you've done. I thank you for your love and for your goodness and your grace. I stand in awe, Lord. I stand in absolute awe of your love. Father, I thank you for the finished work of Jesus and the grace that's already been paid for. And I pray, Father, that the final, the final word, the final word, we receive as the final word. And we don't question everything along the way. But we say yes to you. We say yes to your promises. We say amen. We say, okay, God, I agree with you. I might not understand it. I might not know the whole picture. I don't need to know the whole picture. But I say amen to you. I say, I believe. I agree. Let it be done to me according to your word. Thank you, God, for planting your word of truth deep in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.